0: Welcome to the FBCLB Podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening! Take your Bible, stay standing, and go with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 8 is where you'll find your place tonight. Nehemiah chapter 8. If you are here tonight for discipleship class, that's happening across the way, we are going to dismiss you to head that direction right now, all right? So if you're here for discipleship class, you're going to make your way right across the lobby. And a veer to the left, and you'll find Brother Derek over there in the large parlor. The rest of us are gonna hang out here tonight in Romans, or Nehemiah rather, chapter number eight. And look with me at verse number one, Nehemiah chapter eight, and verse number one tonight. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe before the men and the women and those that could understand. And, all the, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattaniah and Shema and Ananiah and Yerjah and Hilkiah and Massiah. And on his right hand, and then on his left, Padiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana and Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered, Amen and Amen. With lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Skip down to verse number, verse number eight. So they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the tershatha and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, they said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said unto them, Go your way eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord and neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives. I pray that you would Teach us your word through the help of your spirit. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Got my truck up and running. I had some issues with the brakes. After I had issues with the brakes, I had some issues with the uh, alignment on uh, the the front wheels. I got the alignment fixed. I had somebody steal—I told you about this—I had somebody steal the tailgate off the back of my truck. Got that fixed. Had another issue with brakes on the on the back side of the truck. Then I got those fixed. I was. Getting onto the 710 Sunday morning, as I got on the 710, I hit a pothole. And so now my alignment on my truck is completely off all over again. When you drive, to go straight, you have to hold the wheel like this. What do you do when something in your life is misaligned? Life can kind of feel like that at times. You finally get this fixed, then that goes wrong. You finally get that taken care of, then this blows up. You can finally get this blow, this thing that blew up. You kind of, you get it taken care of. And then you have another issue with, with this person. You have a problem there. You got this thing at the work. You got these things with mom and dad. You got, and those, those are just things that affect us outwardly, not even things that affect us inwardly. Our own bad decision making, our own failure to plan and prepare, our own failure to flee Those temptations that come our way. So things that affect us outwardly, things that affect us inwardly. What what do you do when you have to find an alignment in your life? Well, this is where the the children of Israel find themselves in Nehemiah chapter 8. They find themselves there because all of the work that we were told Nehemiah was to do, it's all complete. The wall is built. The houses are secure. The city is well defended. You remember chapter number seven. The city is even well ordered. They have safety. They have security. They have jobs. They have an ordered life. They have some routines that they are uh, enjoying in chapter number seven. And yet there's something missing. That even though they have good jobs and even though they have great security, there is this emptiness that's happening. And we see a lesson here that although Nehemiah has practically finished all of the external work of the, of the wall, there is still an internal work of the heart that must be done. That even though the wall was built, the houses were done, the city was secure, there was a routine set. That even though the external work of the wall was finished, the internal work of the heart had yet to be dealt with. And that is what you are reading in chapter number 8. That the people realize that all of these externalities are not enough to make up for the emptiness that they have inside. The the houses, the programs. They mean nothing. And the reason they mean nothing is because they are absent the presence and the power of God. So the question that is before us is how When we have made sure that we have all of the externalities. How do we make sure that there is not also an emptiness? Or how do we make sure that there is not still an emptiness? How do we ensure that the presence and the power of God is with us? And the answer is quite simple. There's a need for constant Alignment, that similar to all the work that is routinely needing to be done on my truck, there is constant work that is routinely needing to be done in your heart. The moment you think, well, I've got it all, you've lost it all. The moment you think, well, I'm checking all the boxes, I count myself to have actually apprehended. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended apprehended, but this one thing I do. He's saying there's still an area in his life that all that Paul had accomplished at that point, wrote the majority of the New Testament, planted churches all around the Mediterranean rim, preached revivals, been imprisoned, had seen the display and power of God himself. That in spite of all of this, Paul is saying there is still an alignment that needs to be done in my own heart. And that is not just true. For Paul, and that is not just true for the Israelites who find themselves here in Nehemiah chapter 8, but that is also true for you and for me. So, how does God align our hearts? What we're seeing from Nehemiah chapter 8 is the primary way the primary way that God intends. For our hearts and our minds to be aligned with his will and his way. And quite frankly the answer is simply this. It is with the word of God. That the word of God is the primary way in your life that God will make you into his image... That God will bring you into submission to his word and that God will cause you to be obedient to his will. The primary way that God is at work in your heart and your mind, in my heart and in my mind, is through the word of God. And that's what you're seeing here. So here's this, this people who have returned from captivity, the vast majority of them. And they've set themselves to this very hard work. They've gone up against all kinds of enemy and opposition. And now they've finally finished the work. They've, at, they've outlasted the, 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 the opposition and the enemy. And now here they are with this great sense of emptiness. And just how will they have their heart aligned? How will the internal work of their heart be, be built? And the answer is threefold. First notice... That they read the word of God. This is verse 1. All the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street. You you realize how how unique that phrase is? That they gathered themselves together as one man in the street. That both the men and the women. And then the Bible says, notice, all they that could understand. Look at verse 2 both men and women and all that could understand, they gathered themselves together in the street and they were there as if they were one person and they were all longing for one thing. And what is the one thing? Look at verse, verse one of chapter eight. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. Think of how little we can agree on in our day. Think of how little, not just we as a church, think of how little, not just all of us can agree on together, think of how little you can agree on even in your own family. You can't even agree on where to go eat. Well, I I feel like this restaurant, I feel like that restaurant, I I want this, I want that. We, We always get to pick your restaurant. I want to pick my restaurant, right? You think of how little we can agree on in our day. And yet here is the spirit of God at work in the lives of these Jewish men and women because they are all in agreement. The Bible says as one man, they were standing in the middle of the street and they were asking for Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. If God's people gather together in one place for one purpose, they will experience the presence and the power of God in their lives. When God's people gather together for one purpose to hear and understand and obey the word of God, they will sense the presence and the power of God in their life. So they ask Ezra, bring the book, The Law of Moses. This refers specifically to the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they're asking Ezra to read to them this book. And then they're asking the Levites and Nehemiah to explain to them, to give them the sense of what it means. So you you need to remember that the first five books of the Bible, what we would understand as the law, the Pentateuch, was given to Moses by God for instruction to Israel for how they were to navigate the circumstances of being their own unique people. They had not been a people before. And God had brought them out of Egypt. They did not know how to interact. They did not know how to live. They did not know how to govern themselves. And so God had given to them a law. And this law was their instruction for not only the way in which they were to live individually, but it was also instruction for the way in which they were to live corporately. So they asked Ezra, read to us the law Tell us what it says. And then they are asking, give us the understanding or give us the sense of it. And this is in fact what Ezra does. I want you to notice this. They are not asking Ezra for his preference. They are not asking Ezra for his opinion. They are not asking Ezra for his idea. They are asking Ezra for the word of God, And it's also interesting, is it not, that this people who have recently rebuilt the, the wall, they have recently rejoined themselves in the city, they have recently been set free and released from captivity, and they've come all the way back now, that they are not saying to Nehemiah, you're a good leader, you're a governor, you're a wise man. What do you think we should do? They're not asking for Ezra's opinion or preference. They're not asking for Nehemiah's leadership principles and ideas. They're simply asking for what mattered the most and what mattered the most. Well, to them, what mattered the most was the word of God. They're saying, read to us the word of God. When you are rebuilding in your life, what what are you Where are you looking for your information? Are you phoning a friend? When you're making a decision in your family, what's the first source of truth and information you go to? A counselor? Google? A Facebook poll? When you're trying to decide something for your children. What is the first source of information and truth you go to? When you're trying to choose, choose a career. When you're trying to evaluate whether you should or shouldn't make a purchase. When you are... When you're trying to navigate the circumstances of your own individual life. Where's the first place you go? For them, it was bring us the book. We have this, this newly rebuilt city. We're newly rejoined together as a community of God's people. Bring us the book. And notice, notice who is there. It says the men were there, the women were there. It says all they that could understand. All of, they, all of them were there. The question, how long were they there? Look at verse 3. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. They we were there for six hours. From the start of the morning all the way to the middle of the day, Ezra stood on this pulpit that they made for him and he simply read to them what the word of God had said. He read it for hours. I, I read here this evening what, what is the equivalent of ten verses. It was approximately three minutes and 15 seconds. And some of us were thinking, well, is he going to read the whole chapter today? Is he, what's he trying? Well, we're all still standing. Why are they cherishing God's word like this? Well, you must remind yourself of the situation of which they've just come out of. They have found themselves in captivity, away from the promised land of God, many of them away even from the word of God. They found themselves there for 70 years. Many of them had been born and brought up in captivity and they had never even heard or seen the word of God or the law of God. Many of them perhaps didn't even speak the original language. They, they learned the Babylonian language. This is what they spoke. This is what they understood. This is why when they get later on, they're having to give them a sense of the text because it is not their natural or native tongue. It's a foreign tongue to them. And so they are saying to those whose, whose native tongue it was, tell us what God said when he said that. And so they've come. And they're longing to hear the word of God. This is a sense is lost on us. I'm gonna tell you why this is lost on us. I'll just, I'll show you it in a question. How many Bibles do you have access to? Think of it. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. You have a Bible that you have access to that's right in front of you right now. It's on the back of the seat. Th- these, are just, these are ones just in print. This is not even talking about the ones on our phones. This is not talking about ones on our, on our, on our tablets or devices, on, on iPads or computers. You see, you must, rem- you must remember, they had, they had no access to this. The printing press doesn't come along to the 15th century, so that's certainly way ahead of Nehemiah's time. They're not having any access to this, and they are longing to hear the word of God. They give attention to it. Notice what it says. Verse three: "The ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law." So let me ask you just a straightforward, pointed question then on this first point. How's your Bible reading? How's your Bible reading? Sometimes in counseling situations, people will come in, they'll open up, and here's all the struggles they're having, here's all the problems they're having, here's all the things that they're dealing with. And they, they, really, they really don't know what the answer is. They don't know the next step to take. So one of the, the first questions I have learned to ask in that scenario is simply, are you reading God's word Every day. Do You know why? Because the Bible says this. is what the psalmist says, Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. So if you're having a difficult time knowing which way to go, what step to take, what decision to make, it could be because you aren't spending enough time in the word of God. You aren't spending time in God's word at all. God's word's a lamp to us. Sometimes people come in, they're struggling with sin or an addiction or some kind of problem. Normally the first question I ask, are you reading God's word? How much time are you spending in God's word? Do you know why? Because the psalmist says, the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So when we spend time in God's word, it not only shows us the way that we ought to go, but when we hide God's word in our heart, it shows us the things that we ought not to do. The sufficiency, the power, is in the word of God. So how much time are you spending in the word of God? God's word is what pushes all that sin, those impure thoughts, that, that dirt, it pushes it out. But you can only push out the sin and the dirt and the impure thoughts if you are pushing God's word in. So when we put God's word in, it pushes all these things out. And the more that we think on all these things, then that pushes the word of God out. So the answer is found in the word of God. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher of several decades ago, who said, "A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life isn't." Hmm. As someone whose life is falling apart, is someone who is neglected. The word of God. Are you reading your Bible? Second, how does God align us? Notice not just when we read his word, but when we have a reverence for his word. They reverence God's word. This is really seen in verse number four. As where the scribes stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they made him for. Notice the phrase. They made him this for the purpose. So they wanted to be sure that they could all hear the word and so they made this on purpose for that. What was the purpose? The purpose was that they could all be sure to hear the word. So there's this not only not not only this attention for the word, but there's this reverence for it. Look at verse five. Ezra opens up the book inside of all the people because he was above them all. That is not not speaking of his position. That that is just speaking practically. They had a pulpit. He was on top of it. So he was over and above them so they could all see it when he opened up the scroll. And when he did, all of the people stood up. He does not announce, everyone stand for the reading of God's word. No, they saw the scroll opened. They immediately stood up. They stood as if some royal member of, of the uh, of kingly family had just entered. Well, stand up. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Oh, look. We're in the presence of someone great. They stand. As are blessed, the Lord, the, so he reads the word, the people answer amen and amen. They lift up their hands, they bow their heads, and they worship ...the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice they, they, they bow in worship. This is how they're understanding the preaching, the teaching, the reading of the word of God. It is worship. I told you this several weeks ago. In our culture, worship is simply understood in one small vein... Worship is understood as music. But in the Bible, worship is not regulated to one thing, like music. You can work by way of worshiping God. Your giving is a way of worshiping God. You're you're speaking, you're talking is a way of worshiping God. You're you're, you're doing all that you do to the honor and glory of God. That's why Paul says that. Whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, you're doing it all to the honor and glory of God. Music or preaching or singing or giving, these are all just avenues. They're individual avenues for the way in which we worship God. But don't discount this, that the preaching, the teaching, the reading of the word of God to them was understood as worship of God. Is that how you understand listening to God's word? You understand the listening to God's word as an act of worship to God. Is that what you're thinking of the sermon right now? This is an act of worship to God. This is the reverence that they have. Notice this. The attentiveness that they have to God's word stems from the reverence that they have for God's word. The attentiveness toward the word of God comes from the reverence they have for the word of God. And so it is that when we revere God, when we revere the word of God, when we esteem and cherish the word of God, when we understand the word of God to be sufficient, when we understand the word of God to be enough, we give our attention to it. If you truly revere what God has to say, you will listen when his word is open. You will listen. When his word is open. So let me give you some practical help here. I think you have a section there. How to listen to a sermon. You ever heard a sermon on how to listen to a sermon? Probably not. You're just told that you're supposed to. But there's a great outline that flows for us here of how they listen to this sermon. And it's, it's beneficial to us. To the way in which we are to revere the word of God in this way. I can recall sitting in church listening to sermon after sermon from the earliest of ages. I think one of my earliest memories in my whole life is being in church. I can remember being kicked out of the nursery, not because I did anything bad, but because I returned to the age of four, okay? I remember being kicked out of the nursery. I remember going to church with mom and dad. And I remember being barely able to see over the pew. And I remember thinking, as a four or five-year-old kid, thinking, this is an awesome place. Well, all the big people come here. This was big church. And all the sermons I've heard throughout my entire life. Think of even your own experiences. All of the sermons that you could possibly ever recall, probably more sermons. You have forgotten more Bible by way of sermon than most people in the world have probably ever heard. We are blessed people in that way. But when you sit through a sermon, especially if you've sat through sermons for very long, it, it can become difficult because our reverence for the word of God begins to, begins to fade. And when our reverence for the word of God begins to fade, then our attention to the word of God, then it begins to diminish as well. I remember in my early junior high years, I remember letting my mind wander as I was listening to a sermon. My, my friend Brad and I, who ironically enough, also pastors of church, we we decided that the way we would make it through sermons is that we would open the hymn book and we would add to the hymn title the phrase in the bathroom to the end of every hymn title. He leadeth me in the bathroom. Count your blessings in the bathroom. We giggled our way through dozens of church services by just flipping through the hymnal like that. I remember another time we decided we were going to count every time the pastor said a particular word in the sermon. He was kind of prone to always say, and um, and um, and um. So we decided, oh, we're going to count every time he says the word and um. Got to a total of 57 and ums that we had recorded for him. We, We made him aware of it at the end of the service, right? I have since... Reaped what I, have, what I, what I, what I was sowing in my junior high years. I, I understand people sleep through the sermon. People meet me all the time at the back door. Do you know what you did during the sermon? Do you know how many times you touched your glasses? Do you know how many times you walked only to the right hand side and not the left? Do you know how many times you looked over here but not over there? Right, I, I get all these things. How do we listen to a sermon? You got a couple things. Notice, they are, they are listening with a ready soul. They're listening with a ready soul. Notice verse 2. The Bible says, and all that could hear with understanding. So when they're they're coming to listen to what Ezra has to say, they, they are coming with a true desire to know. They want to know because for them, they do not know. And so they want to know. They're coming with this sincere, they're not coming out of curiosity. They're not simply coming out of tradition. They're not coming out of habit. They are not coming out of uh, uh, necessarily like out of responsibility or obligation. They, they are coming with a sincere desire to know what the Word of God has to say. This implies something that they know of themselves that we do not like to admit about ourselves. And that is this, that there is something that we need to know that we do not yet know. So when they're they're coming with, Ezra, give us an understanding. What they're saying is that there is something you know that we do not know. And we want to know what you know about the word. They're coming with a ready soul. Notice, there's a second way to listen to a sermon. So, come with a ready soul. Second, come with an open Bible. They spake to Ezra, bring the book. They weren't simply listening to the preacher's words. They they were enjoining themselves to the text. You You and I have the benefit that they don't have. Yeah, they didn't have little tiny scrolls that they were unrolling of the Pentateuch right there in front of them. They didn't have that. So they're listening to the words and then they're hanging on to the words. They're discovering the meaning. They're considering its application. They're listening with an open Bible. Third, they're listening with an alert mind. Verse 3, all the, the, the ears of all the people were attentive. They have an alert mind. Their mind is not wandering. They aren't counting all of the and, ums in the sermon. They are not concerning themselves with where sister so-and-so is sitting or where brother so-and-so used to sit and now he no longer does. They are not concerned with this. They are alert. They have an alert mind. I'm sure you, like me, find this to be the most difficult part of listening to a sermon, keeping the mind alert. How do we do that? How do we keep our mind engaged on a 45-minute sermon? What well, a couple of ways you can do this. You ought to keep a pen in your hand. You ought to circle and underline words. You ought to jot things in the margin of your Bible if you want to. Get a, get a journal, bring it with you, mark it up in a, on a tablet or an iPad. Keep your mind alert. It's not just this, they're also... They also came to a prepared moment. Notice what it says. Verse number four, four they, they, they built this pulpit of wood. Ezra stood on it because they made it for this purpose. In other words, they were doing very practical things in order to diminish any distractions that they might have to hearing the word of God. They were removing, they were eliminating any potential distraction. They didn't want someone not to be able to understand what the word of God had said because they were blocked by way of view. So they did all they could do to ensure that the word of God could have the greatest effect on them. What would be the equivalent of that for you and I today? Just think of it. Think of it proudly. This This is the... You, you make the application in the sermon. What would be the equivalent to doing all that you can possibly do in your own, by your own means and in your own strength, to ensure that as the word of God is being preached, it is having the greatest possible effect on you? What, what would that? What would that? What would some of those things be? Maybe like turn off your phone. Maybe like um, sit toward the front. I know this is a Baptist church. Being Baptist does not mean back row. I know you think it does, but it does not. You go to to the game. You want the front row. Why? Because you don't want anybody in the game standing up and blocking your view of the home run or the slam dunk or the field goal. No one goes to the game and says, please give me the worst seat in the back where there's 60,000 people in front of me. That's the seat I want. Why don't you want that? You, don't, you want to remove distractions from the game. You're very practical. They're moving distractions. They're saying, Ezra, we're going to build this up here so, they're, so we're going to eliminate any possible way that our minds might wander off and we might miss the word of God. A ready soul, an open Bible, an alert mind, a prepared moment. Did you come prepared to hear the word? Are you sitting in a spot that is preparing you to hear the word? Are you sitting next to someone who is preparing you to hear the word? You see, all of these are ways. These are the applications. They were humble in spirit. Notice verse 7. Verse 4. This group of men standing at the right hand. This group of men standing at the left hand. Verse 7. A group of men also standing... Giving cause, verse 7 all the way down to the end, causing the people, or caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So men to the right hand and the left hand were helping to give application and effect of what. The, 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 the men and women who were hearing the sermon, they were giving cause and effect of the way in which they were to live it out in their lives. They were, they were humble in spirit. They were, they were not holding bitterness or resentment toward one another. They were not holding bitterness and, and resentment toward Ezra, Nehemiah, or the Levites. They were not holding bitterness. Or I don't like the fact that Nehemiah didn't give me that one section of the wall. I wanted the other section of the wall. So many times this is the way in which we fail to hear the sermon. Well, why'd they let her sing? Why didn't they ask me to sing? Oh, well, why did they sit over there? Why didn't they sit over here? Why didn't she shake my hand, but they shook his hand? You see, all of these little things creep into our hearts. So as the sermon is being delivered, it is like the fowls of Satan swooping in and st- Stealing up the seed as it lands on the heart. You remember the parable in Matthew? Remember what Jesus says? That this is the way God's word goes out. It goes out like seeds. Some falls on good ground. Some falls on bad ground. Some falls on rocky ground. And some of it, it would have landed and it would have grown up and it would have produced fruit. But the fowls, the birds of the air swept in and stole it away. And so it is. They're ready of soul. Their Bibles are open. Their minds are alert. The moment they've prepared for, they've done all the practical things necessary in order to have, so the word of God could have the greatest effect on them. They're humble in their spirit. They're, notice next, they're responsive in their heart. Verse nine. They hear the word of God. So it's read, look at verse eight. It's read... It's read distinctly. It's the the sense of it has been given. They're, They're causing them to understand it. And then notice, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So God is revealing to them their sin. God is revealing to them their need for him. And they are Responding to it. This is what we would understand as repentance. They are responding to what God is showing them. A, a heart that is persistent in being unresponsive to God becomes calloused. So God speaks and God speaks. And God speaks and we don't listen, we don't repent, we don't respond, we don't change, we don't turn, we don't weep, we don't break. We don't see our sin, we don't see his grace, we don't understand his love, we don't think deep about his mercy. We don't do any of those things and our heart grows cold and calloused so that the word as it's preached, the seed as it falls hits a rock and grows up. No fruit. They are weeping I don't have time for this tonight. I'll have to do it next week. But they're they're weeping because they are for the first time hearing the law of God, the command of God for them, and they're realizing their own sin. So that's why he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's saying, God is joyful in giving you grace and in causing you to see your sin God is glad for you to see your sin and for you to turn from your sin because then his judgment and his discipline, which is what led you away into captivity, does not have to fall on your life. So the joy of the Lord is your strength, he is saying. It's a a joy about grace that strengthens them. It's not about some... It's not about, it's not joy as in some emotion you feel. Well, I'm not very joyful, so apparently I don't have God's strength. No, 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 no. It's not the grace of joy. It's the joy of grace that becomes our strength. I told you I was going to have to give it to you next week, but that was a little preview for what it will be next week, okay? It is our strength when we understand His grace we understand His grace; that becomes joy to us. This is what—that's why Nehemiah. So look what it says. That's why Nehemiah goes, "No, no, no, no! Don't cry, don't weep. Go eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions. This is holy. He's saying this is good. You're, you've seen your sin. You're repenting from your sin. You have a submissive heart towards your sin. You're trying to flee sin. That's good. That means. That means you're understanding his grace, and when you understand his grace, you'll understand his strength for you. It's a responsive heart. How how to listen to a sermon? A ready soul, an open Bible, an alert mind, a prepared moment, a humble spirit, a responsive heart, last. Look at verse 16. So they they hear what, what they're supposed to be doing, That's why he highlights the month. That's why in um, in verse number two, he says the first day of the seventh month. To you and me, we're like, well, that doesn't mean anything. But to them, that meant everything. Because that was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so the Feast of the Tabernacles, he explains to them, now go out, get your leaves, get your branches and go to the tabernacle and build yourself booths there and remind yourself of the sacrifice that's available to you because of what God did for you and God will do for you through Christ. So they hear it. Verse 15, you got this long list of branches that they can use. Verse 16, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths. In other words, They do what they hear. Can you think of a New Testament reference that's similar to that? Can you think of any apostle who writes to the first century church and admonishes them not just to hear, but admonishes them to do? Can you think of one? Be ye doers of the word. Not hearers only. Lest you deceive yourself thinking that the truth is in you because you heard it. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about tonight, is it not? Be careful of thinking that the External obligation of simply hearing it means that there'll be an internal evidence that there's actually a change affected in your heart if you have not done what you heard. Not every sermon requires major change. Not every sermon requires major life change. Some do, that's true. But every sermon does call us to understand something more. It does call us to think about something deeper or differently. It does call us to change perhaps our spirit or our tone or our behavior. So, how do you listen to a sermon? You come with a ready soul, an open Bible, an alert mind, a prepared moment, a humble spirit, a responsive heart, and an obedient will. And so the Bible says in verse 8, Ezra gave them the sense. He gave them the sense of it. He caused them to understand it. And then they did it. They obeyed it. I wonder for you, in the last, let's just take 2022. How many things have you heard by way of the word of God that you are now doing? How many practical things have you worked into your life things you think about differently because of the word of God. How responsive to the word of God are you? When's the last time you listened to the sermon preached and wept because God showed you your sin, but he also showed you his grace? You know how we listen to sermons often? You know what? That's a good sermon. And you know, so-and-so needed that sermon. And they weren't even here for it. So I'm going to send them the YouTube link and I'm going to make sure they watch it. No, no, no. The sermon isn't for so-and-so. The sermon's for you. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying.